0: This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Luke Hillikari. Luke is the Secretary of the Victorian Trades Hall Council. He dialled in to discuss the green ban which was just announced as part of efforts to protect the historic John Curtin Hotel in Carlton. Unions and their members will now refuse to work on any redevelopment or demolition of the Curtin Hotel. As a bidder for the hotel, Luke explains what happened, the historical significance of the hotel, and what's next in the fight to save the Curtin Hotel. I'm really pleased to be joined by none other than Luke Hilakari, who is Secretary of the Victorian Trades Hall Council. Luke has been front and centre of this campaign to save the. John Curtin Hotel in Carlton, often referred to as the Curtain as shorthand. And there are many things that have happened since I last spoke with Felicity Watson from the National Trust here in Victoria on the 21st of March. We spoke to Felicity about the beginnings of this fight, the fact that the union movement were looking to pull together funds to buy the Curtain to preserve it as a pub and a live music venue. There were other buyers naturally in the mix and we hadn't really yet seen what would happen in terms of heritage listings or heritage protection beyond the overlay that was currently over that area as per the city of Melbourne. So a lot has happened since then and including the announcement of a green ban which Luke and colleagues, including those from the National Trust and musicians and others in the union movement, joined together last week to announce this green ban outside the Curtin Hotel. So we're going to talk to Luke about all of these things. So I welcome Luke now. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us here.
1: G'day and welcome to all your listeners as well.
0: Yeah, I have been following this and also being angry about this for as long as I've heard about it and i know many also listening have felt very strongly about the curtain hotel as well as other hotels and pubs that we've seen tragically lost for various reasons across the city so you know this isn't an isolated incident this is seems to be a common issue but really when i heard that the curtain hotel was under threat of being sold and certainly sold to someone who may not retain its original function i mean i did think is there anything sacred anymore? You know, what is left if you take away the Curtain Hotel? So I wanted to, first of all, ask from your perspective as Secretary of Victorian Trades Hall Council, but also, you know, someone who is a member of the union movement, what does the Curtain Hotel mean to you?
1: Yeah, it means quite a lot. Um, it's a hotel that's over 150 years old, and if people don't know, it's right opposite Trades Hall. And at the same time, in which Trades Hall was built, which was two years after the gold rush. So when Victoria was still a colony, along came the John Curtin at the same time. And originally it was known as the Lycott Hotel. And it was basically an annex to Trades Hall. So unionists would spend their time there debating, you know, issues of the day being, you know, causes around suffragettes, be it the establishment of Australia as a nation, albeit, you know, strike action at, you know, the local site that's in dispute. So... That's really been an important site for us. Um, There's been a lot of notable characters through there, but I suppose the one that looms largest would be Bob Hawke. Bob Hawke described that place as his second's office. Um, His family have put out some statements saying how important it is to preserve it. Um, But for us, it's not just about a union joint, which is, you know, important to us. It's also talking about what does the character of Melbourne feel like? So when we lose places like this, and we've lost quite a few pubs, um, people will remember the Corkman that was demolished in Carlton, so just around the corner there, um, illegally demolished. Um, when we lose all these things, we start to lose some of the character. And we just think it's highly inappropriate to replace um, an old heritage pub that is also one of the sort of the few live music venues that is dedicated to live music in that area as well. But when we lose all these things, we lose part of Melbourne. And that's our big problem with this.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I was one of those people very upset about the Corkman, given its proximity to Melbourne University and so many other uni students felt the same way. I was really interested historically in the fact that in 1975 and 1976, the ACTU tried to buy the John Curtin Hotel for a sum of about $500,000. And obviously that Didn't happen because we'd be having a very different chat right now. But not only did that happen in history, history was repeating itself when the union movement this year had been trying to buy the John Curtin Hotel and be a bidder in the process for this hotel, which was sold. Unfortunately, it seems that you've been unsuccessful. I wonder, could you tell us about that bidding process or as much as you're able to and perhaps what the outcome has been.
1: Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a disturbing story really. So I wish we did buy it in the seventies, so five hundred thousand that would have been great. So what happened is there was a number of bidders that went in and a lot of those bidders were having conversations with us, which was terrific. So they wanted to be inclusive. Um a number of bids wanted to make sure that they maintained it as a hotel and a live music venue that was respectful of, of its history. We put in a joint bid, and by we, I mean the Electrical Trade Union with RMIT. Um, that bid was over $6 million, and the place sold for five point five. The place sold to an offshore developer. We cannot get a hold of that offshore developer. We can't get hold of that person's name, despite contacting the agents, despite contacting the lawyers or the family who sold it. No-one will give us their contact details, which we're really worried about, because it sends a signal to us that... You know, a couple of things might have happened. Um, like we're trying to sort of put this puzzle together and it's not great. So we, despite us having the highest bid, they went for the lower bid because there were some conditions when a university buys a property and the conditions are pretty straightforward. They just have to ask government for permission and that usually takes somewhere in the order of 60 days. Um, that, is, that happens all the time, right? So universities yeah. are big, big landholders. So this is nothing unusual. So it says to us that the family just wanted really quick money, and that's what they took. Um, The stuff we're worried about is we had other bidders come to us and basically say that the agents went around saying, you won't have a problem with the Victorian union movement if you use a union-friendly building firm, someone that pays the right wages and looks after safety. And that's completely misleading. Um, They do have a massive problem. There is no building firm in Victoria that will keep us satisfied that they will keep keep this place as it is if they're going to build apartments. Like, there's just no way through on that. So I, I fear that what might have happened and why we're not being put in touch with the developer is if the developer knew that there was a green ban on it, well, maybe they wouldn't complete the transaction within 90 days. So I think there's a bigger game here, and um, I, 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 I might feel for the international developer who bought if they didn't know the full picture. If they do know, knew the full picture and want to turn into apartments anyway, well, we just have a big old problem.
0: Yeah, well, I know that the aim, it seems, is to retain the pub as both a pub and a live music venue, and that seems to be the line in the sand for you. And I know that you had mentioned there were other bidders who had also suggested they might put together office spaces that would be used during the daytime, and obviously that wouldn't necessarily interfere with it as a live music venue. I wonder, you know, Clearly, you weren't the only bidder. It seems that there were other bidders beyond this international bidder, the mysterious bidder, uh, who seemed to have put forward other plans uh, which may or may not have been suitable. I wonder if you could comment on those other bidders and and what happened to them.
1: Yeah, a couple of them dropped out. Um, One of them, I think, continued through, which was sort of this architectural group, Um, and they sat with us and they took us through some drawings and plans, and largely it looked like they were going to, Offset from, from the front. So the building's put towards the back, towards RMIT, MIT, and it'd go up five or six stories, and it'd be office space. Um, office space, which is <laughs> incidentally, we're, we're pretty hopeful that the EU movement actually might rent back off them. Um, <laughs> which which would have been, like, a great scenario. But they would have done it in such a way that you'd retain the pub and then retain the, like, music venue and just upgrade it inside because, you know, the, there's, there's some broken windows and stuff like that that does need a little bit updating inside of JC's, but it would have kept the character of the joint and, and that would have been an ideal bid. But I just I just can't believe really how uncooperative the sellers and the family have been in this scenario. Like, at no time did they ever respond to the community reaction that mm. we want to keep this special space. But if you think of live music venues across Melbourne, over the last 30 years, we've lost 16 of them. So, one by one, they're being sort of picked off. And and the scenario is we don't get great live music anymore in this place. Like, people and up-emerging, you know, bands that just want to give it a go. But there won't be space for them. And Melbourne loses... You know, part of that cultural character, which we think is unacceptable.
0: I can't believe it either, really. Certainly hearing what you've just said, I'm speaking with Luke Hillikari, Secretary of the Victorian Trades Hall Council. Now, Luke, something else that's also happened before we get to the green ban is the Victorian Heritage Register, something that I discussed with Felicity in a hypothetical scenario. You have made a joint submission with the National Trust to the Victorian Heritage Register. That is something which outlines its social significance and cultural significance to Melbourne, and there is an excellent document on the National Trust's website which outlines a lot of its history. But that, it seems, is definitely not going to be enough to protect the function and interior and purpose of the pub. So it seems that even if that was approved, for example, something more is needed and enter, stage left, the green ban.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we we're really pleased to do this with the National Trust. Felicity is, like, a fantastic. She's an Australian-leading expert. If there's any partner you want to put this together, it's really them. Mm. Um, and so we we're, like, really pleased to be in partnership with them. It's gone in. I expect Heritage Victoria will come back probably within two months and give a view on that. Um, you're right. It, 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 it ticks a number of boxes. Most Heritage applications that go in maybe tick one, This ticks three different boxes talking about it being significant to a cultural figure in history, being Bob Hawke and being um, an ongoing space that is important to our culture, which is sort of the music in the union scene, and then also a social history behind it. So you tick the number of boxes. So we think it's a really credible spot for the Heritage Registry. But as you say, that might not be enough. And so Music Victoria with a bunch of local bands have got together with us, uh, with some residents and union and of course unions to to put a green ban on the site and that means that we're sending a message to every builder and worker in victoria that if the developer comes in and asks you to work on that site you don't take the contract you don't cross the picket line you don't work there
0: Yes, and green bans are something that have been used historically to protect a number of other significant buildings and gardens, for example, not only in Melbourne but also in Sydney. So there is a historical precedent for a green ban on a significant building. It seems that in recent years it probably hasn't been as common, but could you take us through that history, its relevance to now and what this green ban will mean?
1: Yeah, the Green Bands were a big deal in the 70s, and it really saved the character of Sydney and Melbourne. So if you look at some of our like iconic spaces, like the Flinders Street Station Clocks, the Queen Pick Market, the City Bars, the Regent and the Princess Theatre, um, the Royal Botanical Gardens, the Windsor Hotel, um, a number of the sort of the Gothic banking buildings, the ANZ and CBA building, all of those buildings were protected by a green bands. So at various times, developers wanted to come in there and significantly change those buildings or collapse them completely. And the union movement said, no, 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 we're, we're not doing this. We're exercising community democracy here, and we're going to protect those spaces. Um, if they didn't, if they didn't have done that, if, if they had just said, you know, we'll build whatever because you know that's our job. We just want to build. And don't get me wrong, we love building things. Um, Melbourne would 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 be. Um, a very ugly city right now. And it would have been the same with Sydney. On top of that, we also want to protect green spaces, so the Royal Botanical Gardens, the Gallagher Reserves, and a number of places all throughout Sydney Um, were protected by the union movement as well. So we don't think it's just good enough for us as a movement to say, hey, we want to do wages and conditions. It's also how we live as a society, and that's what sort of a green ban is. It says community democracy is more important than the needs of a developer to generate profit.
0: And in terms of, you know, maybe a hypothetical situation in the John Curtin instance, uh, if we're thinking about the overseas buyer who might decide to either demolish it or build apartments above it or a whole range of options, if they decided to do something that would destroy its function and the character of the building... It seems that a there would be a physical picket line, but also, would it be that the buyer or developer would try to seek to get around this whole situation of you know union groups saying "No, we won't take up this job. Will they try and get around that by trying to use non-union workers?
1: yeah,' they'll they'll have to try to use non-union workers and we will have to oppose it. It would result in a physical picket line. In which you'd see musicians and residents and unionists forming a picket. Now, this this could go for a long time. These pickets, mm. so we would need large community support. But again, if you're a builder and you're trying to make a profit, um, and you know we we you know we're good with people making reasonable profits, um, this is not a place that you would pick. Like you wouldn't pick a place where you'd have significant delays and disruptions. You'd probably go somewhere else. So what we, we would ideally like is the international buyer to come forward to sit with us and have a discussion. But at this stage, um, both the agent and the family are not going to assist to make that happen.
0: It's a, it's a shame that it's not being facilitated. One funny and interesting story I read in the media release, actually, was about the fact that the Curtin Hotel, you know, not just having political significance, um, well, It also has a lot of cultural significance, for example, with the idea of the underground printing of Power Without Glory by Frank Hardy was actually concocted in the John Curtin Hotel. That was something that I discussed with John Fane actually last week. The Victorian nurses had a famous strike at the Curtin in 86. It seems that there are so many major historical events at this pub that even I, as a student of history, wasn't aware of, it kind of would be silly for anyone to let this happen. I wonder, the City of Melbourne has a role to play in this. What have they done to either support or not support this, this situation? Have they been supportive?
1: Yeah, look, hats off to uh, Sally Cap and especially Nick Rees. Um, they've done a lot of work from the City of Melbourne to be supportive. Um, they sought to put an instrument ban on any works there I suspect if there was actually a, a physical picket, you could see Melbourne City Council is joining him as well. They are desperate to protect the city's heritage. And when you touch on the history, you're right. There, there are so many little stories that have come out of that place. It was like one of the first places in which women drank in a bar led by Zelda De Prano. It was one of the first places where Aboriginal bands were regularly playing. Like, it was a really progressive joint where a lot of first happened in Victoria. And to lose it, oh, I think it's disgusting. Um, And so if we have to have people come round to physically protect it, well, then that's what we should be doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, we'll keep an eye on it from this perspective, because I'm sure those listening would very much be interested in joining a picket to protect the Curtin Hotel, is there anything that people can do now, the community can do now, to voice their support for the Green Band, the heritage application, the situation in general? How can we you know, voice our support for the action that uh, the National Trust, uh, yourself, the Victorian Trades Hall Council and others are taking?
1: I think it's time for people who are listening to start having a broader community, like community conversation about what we care about in Melbourne. And if we care about pubs like this, and we want 150-year-old pubs to remain and we want live music in this state, well, maybe we need to start changing laws to protect not just the facade of these buildings but the function of them. That's the core bit. Now, it might seem unfair on some people that own these places and say, hey, you know, know, I I fairly bought it and I should be able to do whatever I like with it. But we sort of say no to that. Like, it's more than about one person who owns that little plot of land. It's about the social use of it. Because Melbourne... um, Melbourne is special because we have joints like this. But also, if you consider Victoria and and the climate of Melbourne itself, like, we need social spaces to hang out in winter, really. It it Mm. can be a cold and wet city, and pubs have often been those places. So what I think we need to do is actually have a larger community conversation. as, As we head to a state election in November, people should start talking about what's important. And I think protecting these places is super important, not just to like respect our past but also to understand what our future would look like and especially with the live music industry like melbourne's like melbourne's a super important place in the music scene and i just don't think we can keep taking away from it bit by bit and still think that we're going to get the quality of bands and music that so many victorian's enjoy
0: yeah i think this should be a state election issue it absolutely should Uh, And I hope it will be because we need to have these conversations, as you say, as a public and get our politicians involved as well. Thank you so much, Luke, for joining us and really shedding light on so many of these issues and also leading the charge with the National Trust and the music scene. It's really much appreciated. And I'm so glad that we have uh, people out there fighting for it so fiercely. So I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me on. I've just been speaking with Luke Hilikari, who is Secretary of the Victorian Trades Hall Council, and we've just been discussing the fight to save the John Curtin Hotel, which now includes a green ban, which was just announced last week. I'm Amy Mullins, and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.